Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 114. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's a great week. Not a lot's been going on news-wise, but I've been keeping kind of busy. What's uh, been on your guys' plate this week? Uh, not too much. Uh, uh, we have been kind of looking at ARKit in the office. Most of the team's pretty excited about that, so we've been playing around with that. Um, checking out some of the demos. and Have you built a measuring into... tape app yet? No, not yet. Uh, there's definitely a few of those out there, uh, but it's pretty cool. Like some of the demos I saw were reasonably accurate. The, yeah. uh, uh, we watched the ARKit session from DubDub and not a lot of detail in that. <laughs> yeah. They spent a lot of time talking about, you can start it, you can pause it and you can start it again. <laughs> uh, but you know, in, in theory there's, you know, for basic stuff, there really isn't a lot of code. It's you create a session and and kind of off you go. Um, but obviously it gets more complicated as, as you start doing like tracking and plane identification and, and things like that. Uh, but there's a cool website that somebody made, made with ARKit.com, where you can check out people's uh, concepts. One of them's uh, Minecraft. It actually looked pretty good. Uh, I know that HoloLens has had that for a while, but... Be- it's kind of cool, the idea of building uh, an AR Minecraft world. So is it a lot like the HoloLens version, or do you, say, take a room and, and decorate it with uh, low-res blocks? Uh, I The demo looked like you could do it like on the, on a tabletop, but it also looked like you do it, could do it at a much larger scale where you could walk through it. Hmm. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Uh, I think HoloLens is probably... At least the demo I saw of HoloLens, it looked a lot more involved. But, I mean, we've only had ARKit for, what, a couple weeks now? So um, anything at this point, you know, is is pretty quick to turn around and get out there. Yeah, unless somebody's adapting an existing demo. Like there was the yeah. Super Mario one where it's kind of an AR version of Super Mario, but it was really just a, a VR demo that had been adapted. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to you know, the code part of it is, you know, you could do some pretty sophisticated things, but it really relies on some good 3d modeling skills as well. So finding existing assets definitely makes it easier. Yeah. There's a funny one that I'm looking at now. That's uh that's you have a Falcon nine land uh, like in your pool or wherever you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some fun stuff. Yeah, I think people are going to enjoy playing around with it. Yeah. Uh, in the in the session, there's uh, a one part where they show a gecko, and the gecko actually follows the camera, and it'll blend into its surroundings. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not sure if that source code's available, or if so, they plan to make it available. So I, I have, hope so. I have to correct you. That was a chameleon. Come on, Alex. Chameleons change colors. <laughs> well, I, I'm aware of that, but I'm pretty sure he said gecko. Yeah. But I don't Ge- know. I could be wrong. Gecko show for gecko. We don't want that. We want the the shape shift or color shifters, not yeah. shape shifters. It may have been a chameleon, but I thought he said gecko. 
They're easily confused. Yeah. I think there's a whole website about it, things being chameleons versus geckos. Yeah. Apparently, it's a it's a thing. Some people get really upset about this. I'll I'll have to double Case check and point. see what they what they call <laughs> no, it. Not me. I don't care. There was a, a former coworker of ours. He he had a Uh-oh. thing with <laughs> correcting another one of our coworkers about That's geckos. That's true. I forgot geckos. about that. <laughs> geckos and chameleons, not geckos. <laughs> but yeah, so made with arkit.com, huh? I'll have to check that out later. So Argo, you have something about apps needing a diet. What's what's that all about? Well, yeah. So there's a article that went around. I, there may have been a couple. Um, but this one was uh, Sensor Tower keeps track of a lot of uh, stats, and they've noted that app size has gradually increased, which makes sense. But then over just like the last year, like app size has skyrocketed. And you probably notice this, you know, when you look at your phone and do updates and, you know, every every week or so you get a 400 megabyte download from Facebook uh, to update for something you can't even tell whatever the difference is. So, Oh yeah. Facebook um, is terrible. With that kind but of thing. Facebook's not the only offender, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know yeah. if it's just, we keep getting more screen sizes or, I mean, yeah, more people are using Swift. So that bumps up app sizes. I know we included our first bit of Swift. It was some third party code, but that bumped up our person, like my personal apps, app sizes, uh, so it seems like something that we should be be aware of uh, and try to avoid increasing our app sizes because it seems like a pretty user hostile thing to do. Well, yeah, you don't want somebody that's got, say, a 16 gigabyte phone and, you know, the only thing they can run is Facebook and Uber and Gmail or something. Pick, just hitting three of those as being some of the bigger offenders in that list. Yeah, I mean, I know Apple seems to have recognized and they added that new feature for iOS 11 that basically uh, deletes the apps and retains the data for apps that you don't use very often. Yeah. Have you guys seen that? I have not, but I know they did something similar for um, iOS 8 when people were having trouble upgrading to that uh, large behemoth. They Oh, that that was during the update, though, right? Right. It would like, no, offload this is, some of your apps. This is like, as you use the app, like the ones that you use the least, it'll basically just turn the app into a shortcut that if you need to use it, you'll have to re-download the app if, it, if you haven't used it in a while. And you can turn that on or off. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's probably a, more than a few of those that would qualify on my phone. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, I've got so many apps, but... I don't know, it's like I keep all those apps on my phone... Because I needed them at one point, and I don't want to be like, you know, it's those rare use app, apps, like, I'm traveling, and I need this one specific travel app, like Uber or Lyft or something like that. I live out in the burbs, so I, there's no Uber or Lyft that I can take. But if I'm, you know, in a city, I, I want that app to be right there. I don't want to go and, you know, download an app that potentially, as we're talking about it, is over the, the cellular size limit. So <laughs> it's like, what do you do? Right, or or you you can't get a great connection. Maybe it's good enough to to query something in in, in your app that you need, or and your battery's low, so you you don't want to have to go download a full on hundred megabyte app. So, yeah. So what do you guys do 
personally, uh, for the apps that you guys work on, do you take a look at the app size? Is that like one of your criteria when you're trying to figure out if when you're going to ship stuff like, oh, did we make that app super big? Because I know us personally, we've had to like figure out creative ways to to save space in the past. Um, is that something you guys look at with your apps very often? I think it, for me, it depends on the client. Uh, on one client, we yeah, we did fairly regularly look at that kind of thing. Uh, the client I'm on now, they don't use a whole lot of outside dependencies. And so the chances of, of the person or developer pulling in some library that then pulls in 10 or 20 other libraries is, is next to nothing, right? If you look at, say, something in the Facebook SDK, that's going to pull in a whole lot of other Facebook libraries like bolts and, and other things. So you might think you're getting yeah. a small library or something that you're willing to take the hit for because you need that, but you're going to get a whole lot of other cruft with it. Yeah, I think a big part of our current app size, which is still under the 100 megabyte limit, is a lot of the third-party SDKs that we need to, to serve ads and stuff like that that we can't get away with not having, but they take up a lot of space. Other than, like, dependencies, is there is there anything else you guys do? Have you mostly transitioned to using um, asset catalogs and doing app thinning and, and bitcode? It seems like those things definitely help out app sizes as well. Definitely asset catalogs. Uh, bit thinning's one of those uh, app thinning and uh, bitcode are probably something that that's going to take some time to become more commonplace, you know, because you know, bitcode can cause some issues with like crash logging and things like that. So um, I don't know how many, if any of the third party crash loggers can deal with bitcode. Do you guys know? I want to say I saw some update for Crashlytics to, to deal with it somehow. I think you just there's some extra step you had to take to like upload the bitcode somehow to them. Does that sound right? I would think it had something to do with downloading your DSIMs off of the iTunes Connect portal. Well, but they already they already have a way to like I think when you do the the build, it'll, it'll upload, upload it. But when you archive, it, it'll upload it. So if uh, with the whole bitcode side, that happens. On Apple's side. On yeah. Apple's side. Yeah. So that's that's where things get challenging. And we were kind of waiting to see how that played out before we got too deep. We, you know, some of some of the third party libraries had trouble with Bitcode, but we I, I think at this point we don't really run into anything that that would be an issue. It's really the crash logging that we're most concerned about. You know, once once that is there, um, you know, We'll probably jump on that. I, I think at some point it's going to become mandatory, so we'll be there eventually one way or the other. Then app thinning, um, you know, we don't really have to think too much about it. Yeah, so yeah. it looks like if you in Xcode, if you look at an archive, there's now like a download DSIMS button, so you can download the debug symbols. So Crashlytics has a place where you can upload the bitcode debug symbols so that so their stuff will all work. So... So Crashlytics at least has it, but sounds like it's a pain. <laughs> you, as you can tell, we have not yet transitioned to Bitcode, and we had some legacy stuff that wasn't working with asset catalogs from like iOS seven or eight days, and we never ended up converting everything over. So we still have some work we could do to cut down the size of our apps as well. 
Um, yeah. well, sometimes it's for, hard enough just to even if you have a project that's been going on for a long time, it's hard yep. to just find <laughs> those assets that you're not using anymore, especially if you're, say, building the names of these assets in code. And then oh, uh, yeah. automated tools just won't work so well. Well, yeah, and part of our issue, too, is we were dealing with a lot of the issues that asset catalogs were built to fix because we're a game. We had a lot of resources and we kind of created our own rules for like when you're on this device, use use this file. And so we're not using exactly the, you know, apples to find uh, chunks, how they're split out in asset catalogs. So we'd, we'd have to redo a bunch of logic as well as kind of why we're kind of stuck on that. It just just will take some work, but something we haven't done yet. Yeah, we're, we're definitely transitioning towards using PDFs now that we've got quite a bit of flexibility there and kind of makes that whole process a little bit easier because you don't have to export three different versions and, you know, someday it'll probably be four. I do love the support for vector PDFs in Xcode. And I kind of wish we had something that was more uh, runtime SVG type handling, but we do it's now with Xcode nine and iOS eleven. So you can tell it to keep the vector uh, information, right? So instead of being a precompiler step, turning it into images, you can keep those vectors and scale them in the app. Uh, but you know, for most things like toolbar icons and things like that, you don't really need to scale them. So you need you don't need the overhead of the full SVG data right. uh, in the app. But if you have something like a logo that you're going to display yeah. in 10 different resolutions, it, it's a much easier thing to have that one SVG or PDF in this case. Yeah, or it could be a background placeholder image or something like that where it's going to scale to fit the content. So, yeah, absolutely. So that's PDFs are a good one. Is there anything else that you guys can think of that's helpful to... Help keep your app size down. We've talked about dependencies. Yeah. On-demand resources. Yeah, and, and we've really run into challenges with enterprise clients. They're not going through the app store, so we can't use the on-demand resources from Apple. And they, you know, they, they have a lot of very large video and PDF assets that they want loaded on the device. So it becomes kind of a challenge. So we often have to kind of build our own solution to manage the assets and download them on demand. But often they need those available offline. So we have to basically re-implement the on-demand resources functionality, but for the enterprise. That yeah. doesn't sound fun. <laughs> well, it's just an S3 bucket, right? Yeah. The other option is you have an app that's like 200 megs or bigger. And, right. and it's always fun when you've got a group of salespeople at a conference trying to download the app at the same time on hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah, nobody wants to deal with hotel Wi-Fi. That stuff is, I guess it's better these days, but still pretty bad. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the, the conference Wi-Fi there, the conference hotel Wi-Fi I had in San Jose wasn't too bad. It actually got some decent speeds out of it. Were you downloading uh, SDKs and Xcode and stuff on it? Or uh, I guess you did that yeah. in the conference, right? I did most of that in the conference, yeah. There were some things you couldn't do. At the conference, you weren't able to download um, things like Xcode and all that stuff 
over the Wi-Fi, which makes sense because the Wi-Fi is pretty horrible no matter how hard they try. And so you would have to download like your phone image or something while you're plugged into a, a wire, which was great because they had plenty of tables and wires. But the problem came when you wanted to load the new beta of watch OS on your watch, because that had to be downloaded by over Wi-Fi. If you got on the conference Wi-Fi, the thing wasn't available. So you had to kind of wait till you got back to your hotel room and then try to fight with everybody else to do the, the actual watch update. There was a, that's a hole right there. I don't know that Apple will fix that anytime soon, but it's really what one day, two days that, that, that it's a problem. That was just interesting that that, that little catch 22 was out there. Yeah. So Argo, you're uh, well, excited about some new APIs we got coming in iOS 11. Yeah, I think I've, I've realized it may not be super helpful um, to me specifically, but I, so I remember, I think this was iOS seven when they introduced control center. Uh, they, you know, they basically added on, on every app. Uh, you can now swipe from, you know, swipe from the, the bottom and in the first beta, uh, regardless of of how you had things set up, it would always bring up Control Center. And this broke a lot of apps that required you know multi touch. We have card games, so you're swiping from the bottom to play your cards all the time. Totally screwed up our app. We actually, uh, I remember going to the labs and talking to I forget I forget the engineer, but we talked to a couple engineers and. They ha- I don't think at the time they had realized it, but they said, oh, yeah, we're getting this complaint from a lot of people. And so what they did was based on whether or not your status bar was was uh, showing, which is a kind of a weird thing. But I guess they were thinking, you know, OK, if it's a full screen app, there's no status bar. Then the first time you swipe up from the edge of the screen, you get a little like a uh, tabby looking nub thing. And then the second time is when yeah. Control Center pulls up. We we were very glad they did that because um, we would have been really screwed, I think, if, if they had shipped with what was in the first beta and there's no way to disable it. Uh, but in iOS 11, Apple actually added a, an API uh, that you can basically, on a view controller, just overload a method. Uh, it's like, I forget what it's called, but... Uh, let's see here. It preferred screen edges, deferring system gestures. So you can, there's a UI rect edge enum that you can just say, all right, uh, we want you to defer system gestures coming from the bottom. I thought it was kind of weird that they added this API. Um, but it's nice if, if you need that, or like if we wanted to put a status bar in our app, so people always had the time and we could still, you know, not deal with the edge swiping stuff. Now, uh, we have that ability. Um, but I wonder if this kind of is one of those little API changes is like, hmm, well, maybe there's going to be some more edge uh, gesture recognizers coming that are going to interfere with people. And that's the reason why uh, this API got added. So maybe, you know, iPhone 8 or whatever the heck the, the fancy new phone is called. I'm wondering if we're going to see some some new features related to the edge gesture recognizers. I imagine so. You know, have you noticed that the the force press on the left side of the screen is gone to get into the app switcher? I use that all the time. You know, I just have my thumb over on the left side of the screen, and I I don't want to go down to the button to to double tap that to get into the app switcher. So I would just force touch on there, and up it would pop up. But 
Not anymore. It's gone in 11. On the edge of the screen? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. It does work. Uh, I don't know on the beta. I mean, there's certainly, like, with the multitasking and control center, it definitely seems to be a work in progress. Uh, Beta 2 was a lot different than Beta 1. Hopefully, Beta 3 is even better. So, So, neither of you two knew about that gesture? Nope. (laughs) That must be why they removed it. Nobody used it but me. Well, I haven't had a... a, uh, Let's see, that's iPhone 7 that introduced the Force Touch? Success. Success? Okay. Almost two years now. I didn't have that. I was on a 6 for a long time, so... Force Touch is still kind of a relatively new thing for me. Mm. So you didn't have the latest phone when they introduced it, and then they didn't right. really talk about it when you got your new phone. I, yeah. however, have no good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I had a 6S Plus and a 7 Plus, so... You're a terrible user, Argo. Yeah, I just... I'm a bad developer, I guess. I didn't didn't catch on to that one. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of an article that Erica Sadoon uh, published recently. She's been writing up a lot of good things. We talked about it last some of them last week but uh one thing that she's not a fan of in ios 11 is the new control center she goes into some detail about why she doesn't like it and it's i i don't know if uh we'll see any changes but kind of along the same lines like the task switcher is difficult to use compared to before like you know with that side screen thing you force press and swipe up and you're done uh, now it's a little bit more cumbersome to get to. Yeah, my only big complaint about the new the new one is uh, getting to audio uh, sources. It's kind of been a pain. I don't know if we talked about yeah. this last week, but yeah. I, maybe that's one of her complaints too. I don't think she listed that one specifically, but you know I've got the same problem with you know anybody who uses AirPods and switches between devices. Uh, you know you want to make that easy as possible. Now it's kind of hidden. Took me a little while to figure out where it was. So you got to go into the audio player control with a force touch, and then click on the little icon to change your your audio source or your your speaker, I guess. Meanwhile, on our Apple TV, which used to be a giant pain in the butt, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you that... now just hold down the play button when you're on the home screen, and I think they even added a an API for other apps to. Add support to the the audio switching on TVOS, so that would, that it's would a lot be easier on TVOS at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like beta one, I don't know if it was beta one or just my setup, but uh, beta two definitely has been a lot more reliable for that. So yeah, I've been using that feature a lot. All right. So anything else uh, you guys want to discuss this week? Well, one of my apps is still stuck in a half phased release. We talked about it a little last week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no way to get it out short of contacting them. Also, we've yeah we've contacted them, and so basically we looked in Crashlytics and we could see that. So we did a we have a paid and a free version. We did the release like three days after it. Um, after free was three days after paid, and we saw that uh, basically after like. A couple days, we we told it to go to full release, uh, which is an option that you have. But uh, it basically stopped doing automatic updates for people. So if we look at our analytics, we see, you know, with uh, our paid version, the new version quickly overtakes the old version, you know, three or four days. And it's the got 50 to 80 percent, 
you know, of the active users. And then on our free version, we're still at uh, like 40 some odd percent after like a week and a half, two weeks. So it was very interesting. We've been contacting them uh, for a while. And basically they were like, show us a screenshot of the problem. Like show us in the app store what the issue is. And if you go to the app store, that app is available by default with the phase release. It's only automatic updates. So I was like, how do I show you a screenshot of it not being available to people with automatic update? So uh, I think we ended up sending them some graphs from our analytics and they responded with, oh, we only deal with official Apple analytics. We can't deal with third party (laughs) providers. So then we had to go on and retake screenshots out of iTunes Connect that showed the exact same thing. And then suddenly we had an engineer to talk to. So hopefully this gets resolved soon. But it's slightly annoying. It's like, do we just do another update? Kind of just blow that old one away or what? <laughs> just change the yeah. bolt number and redeploy? Is that, is that what you think? Well, I think that that might be a, a way to fix it. But I feel like we should just like see it through and get this bug fixed rather than having the same issue again down the line. Cause I think what we did is something that we would probably want to do in the future, which is start a phase release and, you know, one, 2% of the users get it. And then you say, Oh, looks like things are good. Go full release. Uh, so we don't want to just run into the same issue again next time we want to do that. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're hoping we'll get it fixed now that we've got. So they understand our problem. I think because we've showed them an official <laughs> iTunes connect pictures, uh. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of an interesting problem for them in that, like, we get the betas of iOS and macOS and all that, but in terms of iTunes Connect, uh, you know, as far as we know, there's no beta rollout of those features. So it just kind of like all of a sudden shows up for everybody. We tested yeah. live in production. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe they've got some app developers that they use for beta testing, but. It's it's kind of a big bang <laughs> for those things. So, um, you know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that occasionally there are issues. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, I really don't know what their process is, how they vet those things before going live. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's nice that we don't have to wait until DubDub for these releases to come out either. This, yeah. this came out before DubDub. So I, I like that they're not holding everything back like they used to. And then you get the one yearly thing although they maybe they did a better job of testing when it was like a one once a year huh. well it's probably more functionality all at once as opposed to you know being more responsive but yeah i mean maybe they have their whole like mini ecosystem with an apple of like here's the beta app store and they go in and set up apps that are on the app store and they tweak stuff yeah. and test it that way i've got to imagine they have to have something like that yeah, but just like us, you know, they can't imagine every possible scenario. So oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, once once you have millions of apps and hundreds of thousands of developers, it becomes a different problem. Like, uh, there was a problem that was fixed in a recent release. Like, if you had over 250 apps, uh, your NS user defaults, there, were, there was a problem with, with that. Like, they weren't getting saved or something. Uh, that got fixed in beta 2, but, like... You know, that's just, it's like, you know, they probably didn't think about testing with 250 apps. Sound, that sounds like a uh, a number getting overflowed. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make any sense either. If you had 250 apps 
or, or more, whatever, and they were writing to NS user defaults, some of them wouldn't work? I don't think all of them have to write to NS user defaults. I think it's just, the, it's in the release notes somewhere. Um, I don't remember the details exactly, but other than it got fixed and there was something with the number of apps and NS user defaults not working properly. I believe, like, if you say that maybe it didn't get persisted between runs, so it's I always, it's fixed now, but it's, it's kind of a, a weird scenario. I always thought that NS user defaults was just basically, basically a plist file in your app's content directory or user directory. Yeah. Well, it could be with the way it's synchronized. It could be uh, the new file system, which, I mean, you know, there's there's a number of potential yeah, yeah. things that have changed that or, could have influenced. Or if you're using app groups, maybe, then they would be able to share. You know, it's just kind of an example of a scenario that is a little bit extreme that ended up with a problem that would probably get noticed by a lot of people. Yeah, that's yeah. that's one of those nice... QA finds. Yeah. And just a follow-up, you know, from earlier conversation on ARKit, it, they did indeed call it a chameleon. So I, I just remembered wrong. <laughs> so you're right, Sam. Uh, we know, I know of at least one of our listeners that'll be happy with that. Personally, I don't care. All right. So Argo, I hope you get your app situation all resolved by the next time we talk. Uh, which me too because we won't be talking for two weeks a little bit longer than normal yeah yeah because we're going to in uh the u.s it is a holiday next week and we're going to take that time off and spend it blowing things up like good americans do or at least watching people blow things up or barbecuing whatever hopefully not blowing any parts of ourselves up because that does tend to happen <laughs> every <laughs> once in a while on the fourth of july who knows? We, as as you international users or listeners may may know, we don't always do things that make sense here in America. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's about all the time we have left. So until then, uh, why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter, and I'm at Sam Quarter. I'm at Alex Argo, and the podcast is at Shared Inst. Feel free to join us in Slack uh, by going to chat.sharedinst.com and leave us some good reviews, uh, rate or recommend us an Overcast, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. See you. Later.